This is the Rejoicing in the Word podcast coming to you from the capital region of the Susquehanna Valley. My name is Josh Hamilton and with me is Pastor Brandon Starnes, my co-host here, and we want to thank you for joining us here today. We want to encourage you to reach out to us. Uh, You can email us currently at office at svbcpa.org. We'd encourage you to do that. We'd love to hear from you. Also, don't forget to subscribe, like, um, on whatever platforms you're on, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or who knows where you listen to us at. But whatever platform, we encourage you to like us and connect with us through that email. Uh, we've been looking here over the past couple weeks over some attributes of one that's rejoicing. And so it's it's been a great study. Yes, it has. In fact, we started maybe about six, seven weeks ago. And we're really looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. Here is an individual that when you look at the early part of his life, I speak of that one that was zealous according to God but without knowledge. When you look at his life, it did not bear token signature of one that had any joy. And I might would use that to segue that oftentimes religion does not provide joy. But a relationship, a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ provides that joy unspeakable and full of glory. And such as it is with the Apostle Paul's life. He, in Romans chapter 1, highlights a series of personal reflections. I think it's 13 times he uses the noun I. He speaks of the fact of how thankful he is for them. And thankfulness and rejoicing, of course, are tandem. They're twins. They go together. He speaks of a genuine heartfelt service for God that he, he served from his spirit's sake, if you will. He talks about his submissiveness. He talks about his humility, his faith. And today we're yet at the next to last of these attributes, and that is his obedience. Our text today, of course, is Romans chapter 1 and verse 14. Let me read that here. It says, the scriptures say, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. We want to consider in our topic uh, the verse, and we want to look at the word debtor. Yes, you know, when you look at this particular word, you don't necessarily, it doesn't jump off from the pages, debtor, obedient, as we're going to look at today. But as you consider that word debtor, they really are aligned in a sense. Um, what, do you, what do you think of when you think of the word debtor? I get, you could think of someone who owes money, maybe on a house, or or how about credit card debt? Yeah, I think of uh, national debt, like $31 oh, trillion, dollars, right. we are debtors. That's what I think, or Pennsylvania <laughs> debt. But that's not what this is. This isn't the fact that Paul's saying I'm a debtor because I have run up uh, huge purchases on my Chase Manhattan card, and now I cannot pay it back. And the Jews and the Gentiles and the Greeks and the barbarians all 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 that. No, that's not what he's talking about. Rather, this word debt from the biblical connotation has the idea of being under obligation. It is someone that owes something. But rather, in Paul's sense in talking of manner, there's a number of ways in which he, in fact, is a debtor. Let me highlight just a few of them. Sure, go ahead. There's a very obvious one right at the top. Well, he is the debtor to God. Yes, that is the most obvious one. And we are all too. And all of us are as well. Now, all of us have not been called to be apostles like the Apostle Paul, but nonetheless, we are debtors to Christ because he has saved us. What a marvelous gift. He has purchased our redemption is it first Peter that we are not redeemed with silver and gold? Corruptible things. There's corruptible gold. things of silver and gold, but, but with the, the precious. precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
And so we are all debtors in this particular regard. As of such, being saved and called to his apostleship, well, I think of what he wrote, what, what is it, First Corinthians chapter 9, for though I preach the gospel, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory on, and here's our thought, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is it unto me if I preach not the gospel. gospel. He's a debtor to Christ, as of such, he wants to serve God, he wants to fulfill this calling that God has for him in his life. He's the servant of Christ. He's going to obey the calling to his master. In this way, he is indebted. In this way, he is obedient to the directives of, a, of his master. Think about how many times whenever, pretty much, oh, I don't know, almost every time it seems, whenever Paul opens up a letter to somebody and he says, Paul, servant of Jesus Christ. Yes. Paul, servant of Jesus Christ. And it was a voluntary choice as well. Uh, he has placed himself by free volition under the commands of a tender Savior, of a loving Lord, and seeks to be obedient to every specified command of that Savior. But there are other ways in which Paul could see himself as a debtor. He could see himself as a debtor, I think of another obvious way, uh, to all those that had aided him right. in, in his ministry. In his ministry, absolutely. He, like Aquila and Priscilla. That, to me, is one that's just always at the top of my mind. Aquila and Priscilla... In some regards, you know, they're church planners, they're uh, tent makers, a similar profession that Paul had. Was it Luke? Uh, yes, Luke. I'll go back to Quill, Quill and Priscilla oh, quick, okay, you know. Sure. Uh, but you just, you think of all, they, they labored in the church at Corinth with the with Apollos and training him. But in Romans 16, uh, something with great profundity is mentioned, and that is that Aquila and Priscilla, the scripture says, had laid down their own uh, lives their own neck's sake, I believe is the word there. Wow, that is committed people there. Very much so. Uh, and, and, you know, in keeping with them, I, I think you also think about Phoebe in the same chapter. Who did you just mention a moment ago? Luke, the doctor. Luke, the physician, Second Timothy. He's one of the last ones with the Apostle Paul. You could talk about time, Titus, uh, Timothy, uh, John Mark. They're all his, his ministers. Yes, Silas. So there's all these hosts of individuals that are present with him. Uh, I, of course, think of uh, Epaphroditus would be right. another one. He's with him in that sickness. Oh, well, in Philippians chapter 2, to your point, uh, the Scripture records that he was sick nigh unto death in the ministry or, if you will, service to Paul. Uh, and the ultimate and sad portion of this was that it was a direct correlation to the Church of Philippi's lack of service towards Paul. So there's a whole host of individuals by which the Apostle Paul uh, could be seen as a debtor as they shared to one extent or another in his ministry. Sure. And, and that's true today. Uh, you, you think of uh, those who, to be obedient to the calling of God, have gone to regions beyond to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I here stateside, we're, as it were, holding the ropes. Right. And there might be folks that will never have the opportunity to go overseas or over there to, you know, Australia or Europe or Asia or Africa, whatever continent might be inhabited and the gospel of Christ be preached. They're never going to have the means. They're never going to have the physical abilities. Yet they're faithful. And that missionary would be one of the first ones to tell you that, that he's, he's in debt. I, I get missionary prayer all the time, and they can kind of uh, uh, conclude with that. You know, thanks for your faithful prayers and support. 
Right. We're saying we couldn't be here without your prayers and support. Yeah, that's more than just a token expression. Uh, There's a genuineness to that. And, of course, you know, you think um, locally, your home church, in the same regards. Right. Your pastor studying and praying, and, and he gives the message. But there would be no church without the people. There would be no church without the people. And uh, all of the labors that so readily go, and and I there'd be there'd be no ministries without the people. Now, any preacher worth his salt is going to say that uh, there's a great great debt owed to God's people that allows him to be faithful to that calling. Absolutely, and that's what we find in Paul's life as well. Oh, but but you know these are not the primary way in which he's a debtor because he's not talking about Aquila and Priscilla, right? And he's not talking about the Lord. He says Jews, or he says the Greeks into the barbarians. Yeah, the wise and the unwise. I think this takes us to the thought that he was a debtor to his mission. Yeah. I mean, it says, to the speaking of just the variety here to the Greeks and the barbarians, they didn't have the same language. They didn't have the same culture. Uh, the Greeks and the barbarians had different backgrounds, different politics. But without the Greeks and the barbarians, how could Paul fulfill the mission that God had called him to? One thing in common that all of these have, there's vast differences. You know, a couple more that I would highlight. Um, They may or may not have all lived in and around Rome. Some may have had Roman citizenship. Some may not have had Roman citizenship. Uh, When you're talking about Greek and barbarian, uh, you wonder that no doubt there were sometimes that they had clashes among themselves. I heard um, reading once that this word barbarian, that it's an onomatopoeia, you know, like the hiss of a snake. Oh, okay. And the barbarian, the word in Greek is barbaros. And it almost is like mocking how they speak, bar, 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 you know. Okay, right. Can can you imagine getting your name, your your colloquial expression, (laughs) based on people making fun of how you talk? Right. Uh, The Greeks were... Uh, educated. Sure. They were sophisticated. And the barbarians, it wasn't like they, they lived in caves and... But they weren't philosophers. They were not. And opportunity and fortune, as it were, had not allowed them to have some of what the Greeks had. Now, I would note one thing about the barbarians, though, and that's Acts chapter 28. This is after the shipwreck. Okay. And, and they, they land on... Uh, on the aisle there, and in verse number two of that chapter, the scripture says that these barbarous people showed us no little kindness. Because they made that fire, and then they saw Paul bit by the serpent. Yes, they kindled the fire, they welcomed them, they closed. So just because they were different to Greek. Doesn't mean they weren't people. Exactly. And it didn't mean that they weren't, in a moral strain, good people. Right, because we think of barbarian today, and we think of someone who's like, oh, Going to cut everybody's head off. Exactly what I was going to say. This is not the... And, you know, sometimes some of the greatest mistreatment that Paul would receive would be at the hands of the educated, sophisticated sophisticated society. Even the Jews. Yes. In in fact, that is is correct. So they may have been, the barbarians, been less educated, less sophisticated, less cultured than the Greeks. Uh, But nonetheless, they needed the Lord Jesus Christ. They needed the gospel of Christ. The Greeks, they could come from various lands, not just Greece. No doubt many of them abode in Rome. Uh, They had a common language. That trade language of the time, Koine Greek. I mean, just expansive. 
Um, it, it was It'd be like speaking English today. I think it probably would. It, it was you needed it to ply your trade around the vast host of particular the uh, Mediterranean. Mediterranean area. Um, these Greeks, higher level of education. Yet, you know, you might think of the barbarians, and they were very mystical people in one sense. You, you mentioned the snake a moment ago. Right. That's in he verse said four. He must be a god. He must be a god. And and so here's the Greeks, and yet you think of all of the Hellenistic deities that they dealt with all the time, all manner of foolishness. Their philosophies, their their theology were anything but divine. Right. And Paul at times tangles with them, like on Mars Hill in Acts right, chapter says, 17. You worship the unknown God, you don't even know who he is. Yeah, in the 17th chapter, there's the two groups there, the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans, and this is probably oversimplifying, but they, they just believed, if you will, that pleasure was the chief good, read God, right. in life. That life was for pleasure, and as of such, you needed to be careful with anything you did in life that brought any type of, shall we call it, stress in your life, be that overindulgence or be that overindulgence in seeking pleasures. Wow. So they're, they're very focused on living life right? And, and, and enjoying it to its fullest. It reminds me of the expression today, YOLO, you know, you only live once, you know, yeah. as the guy says before he jumps off the roof. The Stoics, on the other hand, they're like the natural counterbalance, the counterweight. Uh, they emphasize logic and rationality. Probably rejected pleasure. To an extent, yes. And, and you know, they, wanna, they want to look at natural law and kind of correlate that and say, well, you know, don't worry so much about rest. Do all that you can with your life. Right. So these are their philosophies that exist. So be that from the man's eyes, wise or unwise, simple or sophisticated, Paul's no respecter in person. He's a debtor to both of them. He, he needs Greeks and barbarians to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think too often we miss an opportunity to be obedient to the calling of God because sometimes we look too much on the outward appearance of man. Sure, we see people that are different than us, maybe a different culture. I think about the Harrisburg area where we're at. You can go around and see people from all all different countries. Yes. Maybe first generation, maybe it's multiple generations, but... You know, people are from all over the world are here. And what a sad reality if a Christian would actually look at the gospel is I only want people to get saved that are like me. Nothing could be more foreign to the scriptures. That's not the gospel of Christ. It isn't. I think of James chapter 2. If you have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. The Lord was no respecter of persons. He died not just for those of his own house, but for all the world. As he hung on the cross, I think of Peter. Uh, was it Peter said in the 17th verse? I think it was chapter 1. He called on the Father, with who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work. Yeah, pass the time of your sojourning of fear. And, and even if we were to take the time and to go to Romans chapter 2, for there is no respect of persons with God. With God. I, one of the things I was thinking about here recently is what's it going to be like whenever we spend eternity with the Lord, but also with all these believers who over the course of time, barbarians, Greeks, Jews, I mean, you name it, the gospel of Christ is all over the world, and it'll be amazing one day to be able to meet and to talk with all these people, and you know, and then we get to heaven and see that, and we think, well, I, 
I had trouble giving the gospel to someone because they were different when, you know, look, it, look who all is going to be there. It is by faith through his marvelous grace. And I think that's the very thing that Paul's alluding to in the very next verse as he talks to the Jew first. And also to the Greek. And also to the Greek. You know, the commonality of these groups, just just as it is the commonality of our groups today, is the need for the gospel of Christ. Paul was apostolically called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he needed the Greek and the barbarian so that he could be obedient to the preaching of the message of the gospel of Christ, that there might be some fruit among them to eternal life. We think about Christ did that as well. He was not just the Messiah to uh, the Jews. He reached out to the Samaritans. You know, he reached out to those that were around him. Specifically, I think of the woman at the well. She's the most, probably the most well-known account. Well, she's certainly one of the one of the first ones that you get. A large chapter there in the fourth chapter, after coming off where he came into his own and his own received him not. He says in verse four of that chapter, "I must needs go through Samaria." That's a powerful expression. He meets this woman. They have this wonderful dialogue, and at the conclusion. Uh, many, the scripture says in verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. He told me what, what, all that, whatever I did. Uh, and they beg him to stay two more days. And at the conclusion of two more days, John writes in verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. Thank God for the marvelous attribute that is associated with one that is rejoicing in the Savior. And I might would add rejoicing in the word. It's obedience. And we we need to include ourselves in this too because it wasn't just Paul. It's not just the Lord. We ourselves also, if we're going to be fulfilling God's calling in our lives, need to be sharing the gospel of Christ with the Jew and the Greek and the barbarian and the Greek and yes. all those around us. And, you know, he left such a, the Lord Jesus has left us such a wonderful example. Philippians 2, let this mind be in you which also in Christ Jesus who become obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. Marvelous rejoicing always leads to obediently magnifying the Savior. And with that, we go to our verse for the day. Psalm 118, verse 15. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. And with that, we want to challenge you to continue rejoicing in the Word. And once again, thank you for listening.